0: Okay,
1: everybody, quiet
0: on the set. Scene one, take ten, marker.
2: Studio of WHUP LP Hillsboro. Welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo, and over the next hour, together we'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, no hidden messages. Musician, writer, singer, and composer of the Murmur theme song, Jim James is with us. Welcome. Welcome to Murmur. Welcome back to Murmur. This is Robert Malazzo here with you for the next hour. I'm the founder of the Modern School of Film and really super psyched every week to come with, uh, come to you um, on whupfm.org and uh, via iTunes, via Stitcher, via Google Play. We have a website, murmurradio.com. Email us, let us know that you're listening. I see you're listening. I just want to hear from you more. We have social handles, at MSFmurmur. Uh, we also have the Mothership website, Murmur... Sorry, I said that. Uh, mothership, the other Mothership, and the Fathership, modernschoolfilm.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. We do live events... We will be in London uh, May 27th, speaking with Donnie Yen about the state of martial arts cinema. We will then be May 31st in Chicago. Two really cool trips back-to-back, London, Chicago, within a week. Really excited. Chicago will be with Christopher Guest at the Onion Comedy Festival, and we're going to talk to Chris about the movies he loves. So if you want information and tickets, go to modernschoolfilm.com and if you go to the to said events, please come up to us and say hi. Tell us you listen uh, because we, we simulcast the events on Murmur, and we'll be playing you audio. So uh, we tend to weave in our events into the uh, digital weekly digital Murmur, and vice versa. So it all wraps around. It all makes a odd bit of sense. Uh, so check us out. It's really cool to be with you today. It's cool to be with you every day or any day. Welcome back. Today is a special day. I mean every day we we get to do this is an honor, but today is a kind of special day. We're going to talk about something once and we won't we shan't discuss it ever again. It's kind of one of those things you don't really want to discuss, but I do think it's relevant to the ongoing conversation we have here in murmur which is which Is which are music, film, motion-based content, TV content, literature, comics, and, you know, if you tune in, you know, but today is is a topic that we don't really want to talk about, but we want to talk about, and that's the, I don't know if this is the topic, but this is the inspiration for today's show, it's our theme song that you just heard. But we're going to talk about it today and never mention it again cuz it's kind of something you know, when I grew up listening to radio and still when I listen to radio and podcasts and I hear a show a particular show that I like and I hear the sounds that precede the content and end the content, you know, the song, the theme, I I always feel really Wonderful and melancholy and, and all the the range of emotions that I feel about that content seem to be conjured out of me with the song at the beginning and the end. And that goes for, for any number, you know, whether, whether I'm watching a baseball, listening to a baseball game on the radio, you know, the theme song of the broadcast has always been a really interesting component to that experience. It's kind of like if you want to make the leap to, you know... A movie score or TV opening, you know. So there's a kind of fetishistic exploration we're going on today. And we don't like to, you know, when we talk about the things we talk about here on Murmur, we don't like to look too closely at the fetish because then it kind of ruins it. But this one is particularly curious because it really connects to the origin of the show Murmur. And it's our theme song, the song you just heard and you'll hear it at the end and um we'll talk a little bit about that today and we will have jim james and it's his song and we're co-parenting it with him he's given me permission to use it and just beyond honored that he would do that so we're going to talk to jim about it been wanting to get jim on for a while he's super busy always recording and moving and being asked to perform with different musicians so we we're going to catch him today but before we speak to jim I was thinking about a couple of weeks ago we had Thurston Moore on the show and Thurston and I were talking about music as a gift and art as a gift and, and art sort of intrinsically as a gift. And if that's true, then musicians are, are gift givers and filmmakers and artists. It's a form of a gift. It's a form of a sort of regifted gift that you can re-gift and that keeps on giving. <laughs> okay. Um, I was thinking about, I was given a gift uh, a few years back, too many to to number, or too many to mention, too big a number. And it was a, a girl, I was, I don't know, we were in that phase where I don't know if we were dating or seeing each other, but we, we had made, I had made my interest in her known and She responded uh, in the affirmative, and so we were seeing each other. But this was really before the consistent veil of (laughs) romance had fallen on us. Uh, She gave me a mixtape, and the mixtape, the cover of the mixtape, which is always kind of a fun artifact, you know, because the giver gets to design that cover— she gave me this really cool cover and then the other, the last part of it when you give these gifts is the the title of the mixtape is that you know that's what i always used to do i i you know you sort of title it right and we were in that phase of knowing each other where i i don't think either of us wanted to sort of say too much about what we were you know that thing so um uh, Looking back, it's kind of interesting and it's always it's always reverberated in my, in my mind what she titled this mixtape. She titled the mixtape it was three words. No hidden messages. And it's a really it's a title that I've thought about a lot because it's a type of title that reminds me of what drives me crazy about myself and also what I kind of dig about myself, which is uh, how, many, how many different ways can you take any one thing, you know, work of art, title? And there are some creators who think titles are irrelevant. You know, Woody Allen is someone who said the last thing he does is title it with the most basic title possible. One of my favorite Woody Allen titling stories is, Annie Hall was originally called Anhedonia. Anhedonia is a, a psychological state where you can't experience joy. And Hedonia became Annie Hall. Anyway, so she gave me this mixtape and it was called No Hidden Messages. And it drove me crazy because we were at that stage where we hadn't defined what we were to one another. And those three words, no hidden messages, did that mean the songs were um, meaningless? Like they were simply songs. There weren't messages in them. They were just songs for me to enjoy. Or... Did that mean the songs were the forthright <laughs> presentation of her feelings for me? Nothing was hidden. Everything was out in the open. The songs were her feelings. So were there no hidden messages in that? Oh, these aren't songs. There's no messages. Or no, I haven't hidden anything. It's all external. So that title, as she was such a s- smart person, I'm sure she still is, I mean, oh, who lost track of each other many years ago, Uh but that that uh title of the mixtape fascinated me and i i bring it up in in the context uh and still is and i bring it up within the context of of the song the murmur song that we open with and honestly frankly directly there wasn't going to be a show until i could find a song that worked for me and i don't want to overthink or over explain or over over-investigate, believe it or not, why I chose the song. I mean, I hopefully, this is kind of the point, hopefully the song tells you why it was chosen or the song chose us. But for many, I, I, the distance between deciding to want to do a weekly show and doing a weekly show, I don't recall that expanse of time. It was actually relatively short as these things go. That said, I know the clincher of when I, when it was ready to go was – The opening, being hooked on openings for so many years, A, but also knowing that's such an important part of the architecture of content, the frame, if we want to look at it scientifically and not even say opening and closing, the frame. So the song would be the frame. And My Morning Jacket is a band I love and I've been able to meet the guys and play pinball with them and see them and person. So Jim James, the lead singer of My Morning Jacket and, and the incredible My Morning Jacket family, I've gotten to know them and they're really super cool and smart and thoughtful guys. And uh, so I've been, li- you know, I listen to their music. I think it's great. And and in 2008, was it 2008? 2008, uh, Evil Urges, the album came out and the first track is amazing. And I think more to our discussion, I'm always fascinated with the first track of a record. You know, because that is kind of the the place where you see the keyhole. It's like that, sh- the opening of Holy Motors, you know, the man looking for a door. So I was looking for a door into the show, much like, you know, a filmmaker, you know, finding the opening, finding the opening scene. I always know who, whose hands am I in, in as a filmmaker when I go to see their film, that opening. I'm less interested in the closings. I'm more interested in the opening. I think the craft is in the opening. The psychic craft is in the opening. And the ending is with the gods of cinema. But the opening. So, I, I, you know, this confluence, this strange confluence of timing. And I heard the song. It's a song I knew. It's called Evil Urges. And it's a song I knew. And I was listening to it rather innocuously. It was not during a time where I was shuffling through, oh, it would be the right song. I, I never went through that with Murmur. I wanted to find... I wanted to find a song but I happened at this at this moment in our idea or dramaturgy I was simply listening to a song I liked and uh, I was listening to that whole album and Evil Urges uh, is the first track off the album Evil Urges and I love the this song so I was just, I was listening to it and driving and it clicked it clicked on an architectural level it it clicked on a spatial level uh, it the the sound clicked, the, his vocal and everything just bobbed and weaved in, a, in the right way. So I reached out to Jim and Jim was flattered when he said he was flattered, which blew me away. And, you know, that he was flattered to have been asked. And a couple of emails and a couple of file exchanges later, it was it was it was happening. So I wanted to have Jim on the show and he is today to talk about it so you know this idea of i don't want to over talk it as it pertains to our show cuz hopefully people you know it's not even about liking the song it's about the pathology of the connection of the song to a thing you know it's 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 when you place an object on an object like a hat on a hat Probably not the best example, but when you place an object on an object it's often about you know it's never about the object you've placed it's it's on the combination of the objects so whether or not you like the song or respond to the song we've attempted or i've attempt you know not attempted in in connecting it to the show there's a, something that's formed it's something that satisfies me and I think speaks to the show i I you know. Uh, voila now one day one day when we are we sell out for millions and millions and millions of dollars and Jim James wants money <laughs> I'm teasing or, or more accurately when I want to you know ask uh, you know um, Burt Bacharach to write the opening <laughs> I'm teasing that's a different story but until then this song It's that pathology when I hear, you know, when I hear a song of a show, I think of the show and all that romance. And, you know, going back to the mixtape, yeah. You know, I think of the girl who gave it to me. I think of the introduction to the music that was on the tape. I think of the ideas in my life at the time. I think about the ending of the relationship. And you can look back at things without regret even things that didn't work out. So I think connecting forms and as sound relates to our life and as information relates to our life, there's a beautiful, um, there, there's a beautiful deception when one object comes into contact with another and there's also a beautiful progeny. And hopefully in time, the progeny of our song and our show will have a nice life and, and uh, manifest meaning in, in someone or a group of people somewhere at some time. Let's see what Jim James thinks. Jim's coming up uh, first this.
3: Metamucil. It helps you go to the toilet. If you don't use it, you'll get cancer and die. Paramount Pictures presents The Freak. This movie won't just scare you. It will fuck you up for life. I want to know how the fuck the word fuck gets in the New York fucking Times. Stop pretending. If you look like this, then you're fat. In fact, you're a fat slob. Admit it. Do something about it. Want to stop sweating on relatively cool days? Get to a phone? Call Vitaflex toll free. If you call now, we'll send you a free plant. A free plant for fat slobs. You are so fired, it is unbelievable. Harris, say something honest. No holds barred. Go. I like small boys. Oh, God. About the product, you fucking idiot. Bolander? Um, sir,
0: uh, I, I, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night, but I'm sure I can have something pretty honest for you by Tuesday.
2: So for those of you listening, no, we have not restarted the show. No, you're not dreaming. Well, you may be dreaming, but your dream is our reality. Uh, You're listening to our theme song, the Murmur theme song. (laughs) Uh, Today, I feel like a man who's adopted a child, but today I'm going to meet his or her biological father. In starting Murmur, I wanted to find the quintessential Piece, the piece that whose architecture and rhythm and and colors just kind of really nailed it. And much like Mike Nichols, how he discovered uh, Simon and Garfunkel for the the Graduate, uh, Mike was listening to um, Simon and Garfunkel every morning before pre before shooting. And his brother had given him the record. And during post production, he realized, wait a second, that music I listen to all the time would be perfect. Well. Listening to My Morning Jacket all the time for me is easy, and then I realized, oh my God, Evil Urges. I love that song. It's perfect. Fortunately, I know the biological dad of the song, uh, but we've never really talked about the song, uh, and now we're honored to have the father of the song and of murmur in some strange way in some great way mr jim james jim uh, welcome to the show man uh, thank you for being here thanks for having me hey man um, oh. thank you thank you like you know you may be eternally even but i am eternally grateful because that song you know uh-huh. i love you guys i mean i think you know you and the, the guys you know we did we did a really cool event way back when but this I, I, Evil Urges is just a song I listen to all the goddamn time. And when we were launching the show, I was like, hey, idiot, w- that's the song. And I emailed you, and you were so gracious and saying how flattered you are to be asked and I realized that when Sirius XM buys us out one day, you're going to ask for a huge huge bag of money. I'm prepared I'm prepared for that, but in the meantime, thank you man. It's an incredible song and thank you for being here. Well, thanks for using it. There's so many things we could talk about but I do want to talk about the song a little bit, maybe a little bit of the backstory on it and I could kind of tell you some of the light bulb moments for me in matching it up, but talk a little bit about, I know this may be in ancient history, it's actually 2008, May 2008 and eight. So it's almost nine years that you guys played this song on SNL. So it's like almost right that same time. But talk a little bit about Evil Urges, the song. I know it's obviously a track off the album, uh, Evil Urges. But talk about this song specific. Do you have any memories, remembrances of where it came from, where it started?
0: Yeah, you know, it's just kind of about the whole skewed notion of uh, wrong and right in our world. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people... You talk about it, and it almost seems like everything's backwards lots of the times. You know, it seems like all the things that are so wonderful wonderful about life, like love, you know, for example, like, uh, it, it's, it's just twisted around uh, in so many ways, you know, lots of times by religion or greed or, you know, people can twist things in these crazy ways, you know, to make people think that loving the person that you want to love is, is wrong somehow, you know, and I feel like there's uh, just this this crazy—you see it everywhere. I mean, love is the most important thing. You know, I mean, I, I believe that love is love, and that love between two consenting adults is, is beautiful. You know, no matter who those people are, what color they are, what race they are, you know, I think it's—love uh, is obviously one of the most beautiful things, uh, the most beautiful thing on Earth, but the fact that that is somehow— sometimes twisted uh into people feeling like that somehow long it's just just crazy um so i mean that was kind of the gener- genesis of that song was just kind of wanting to be a message of love and just encouragement that people should love you know whoever they feel pulled towards
2: man i feel uh, so bad now for using it it's too good for me I I feel, I, I feel all those feelings, and I'm with you. I, I I'm now. I don't know if I'll ever hear it the same way. I mean, that's kind of the the cursing and the and the blessing of any amazing work of art, you know. But now you've just given my goosebumps, goosebumps. Seriously, man, like. Um, and and obviously, your work always strikes such a wonderful balance between the melodic, the dramaturgical, the, the written word, the poetry, and also the the larger world around us. So to, to to you know what I love about even the title and not to you know I don't get I don't know how much anyone gets too caught up in titles, but I think you're right. It's easy to look at a song that's called "Evil Urges" and think one thing, but it, but your writing is so gorgeously layered in it. Um, and i love the fact that it comes from a place that you always seem to come from which is love and imagine if you know now 9 years later are we are we ever are we further along in 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 this dramaturgy or are we did we take a few steps back in 9 years i mean if if in 2008 God, yeah
0: things are twisted <laughs> Things are twisted man i mean it's like yeah. you know that song was written uh, in the bush era uh, which you know, as everybody remembers, was pretty twisted and pretty terrible uh but now we're in this trump era and, and it is just beyond yeah. twisted and beyond terrible you know and, and it's just it's just such a shame i I feel like it's uh that's the thing I keep coming back to It's like humans have so much potential so much potential to love, but it, it is just the greed. It feels like sometimes is winning, you know, at least in our government and the laws that are being passed and trying to be passed by this current administration. I mean, it's just just so clearly pure greed and pure evil. You know, it's like a bad um, comic book movie or something. It's, it's so, yeah, it's, it's insane. So I feel like, you know, now more than ever, there has to be just a constant outpouring of love from everybody, you know, that, that believes that love is the right answer always and war is always the wrong answer. And, you know, there's there's just so we could be living in complete peace and harmony. You know, it's just, it's insane. It's like we could be off fossil fuels. We could, yeah. You know, it's almost like I was saying with Evil Urges, it's almost like everything that is good you have to fight so hard to make happen, like trying to eat healthy or trying to you know, drive a vehicle with low emissions or, you know, all these things are so expensive. Healthcare is like so expensive. You know, what a crazy thing they're trying to uh you know, whatever, repeal the Affordable Care Act or, you know, it's just it's just purely insanity and greed that another human being would not want a fellow human being to be taken care of, you know, with with health insurance. You know, just so basic. So all this basic stuff. It's just when you look at it all it's just ego and greed, you know, in this current administration. And, you know, I think it's important though, at the same time that, that we don't cast hate back, you know, because yeah, I, yeah. I personally have no hatred for Donald Trump or any of those people. You know, I, I just hope perhaps one day they can, I don't know how, but somehow see the light or, you know, that, that we're on the wrong path. Uh, and, and I think, you know, a lot of people uh, obviously are, are, are resisting and, and marching and writing and you know, taking to the airwaves and taking to social media to, to spread love and to fight against all this stuff, but it's scary.
2: It's a slippery slope, uh, and I'm, I don't mean to marginalize it. We're speaking with Jim James. It's, you know, narcissism on a clinical level, or a scientific, as a scientific term, when you resist it with more vitriol, you're proving their point. You know, you, they, they've, they've twisted, the, one has twisted his or her worldview in such a way that if you point it out, you're proving, see... See, I told you you didn't agree with me. So it's it's a trap, you know. That personality type not to not to get too much into the Doctor Oz of it all, but that that personality type is tricky on a personal level, let alone a political level. Because if you piss in their pissing contest, that's exactly what they want. But it is tricky, as exactly. you say, because in our in our society, man, and, and you know. Uh, it is sometimes the loudest, roughest wheel that gets the grease. So protests, you know, th- there needs to be civility. But the 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 uh, a protest with activity, peaceful activity, but activity nonetheless. It is hard to strike that balance between peacefully organizing and speaking out loudly. You know, but it's funny, and this is kind of the po- the question I have for you. I feel like well, I'm gonna make I'm gonna say something. You tell me if you agree. I think music can do it better than moving imagery, because music, in a in the sense of spreading love or or capturing uh, a political thing, because music is the opposite of those things. You know, film when it's too on the nose just doesn't work. I don't think. You know, film film can be too firm grasp of the obvious. Music, to me, is the perfect. It's the perfect magic wand to spread over a lot of these social and political issues. I mean, I would, I would sense you would agree by nature of the fact that you're a musician t- speaking in these terms. But what is it about music that can spread messages effectively, in, in versus other mediums? Let's say.
0: Well, I mean, I think it takes everybody. You know, I think it takes a, a village. Uh, I mean, I think the thing about music that's so powerful is that you know, we were just talking, I I talk about this kind of all the time, or or just uh, music is like, you can literally use it all the time. You know, you don't have to be sitting in the chair watching it on a screen. You know, you can drive, you can walk, you can run, you can make love, you can cry, you can dance. You know, music can be there always. You know, it's like, that's what I think makes music so powerful. You know, but I I feel like, I don't know. It's all part. It's all so important. Like uh, I don't know if you've seen "I Am Not Your Negro." Oh, yeah, yet. I have uh, uh, the James Baldwin incredible uh, film. I mean, I, you know, seeing that film to me was one of the most moving experiences I've had. You know, maybe in my life, but definitely in recent years uh, in cinema, feeling like cinema and you know can be can truly be. I feel like if everybody had to watch that film, if that became like a law that you had to see that film. I think we'd see a lot of, a lot of progress hmm. you know i feel like more people need to obviously read his work but but also seeing that film is such a great uh intro a great vehicle to understanding uh I, just, I think that's the problem we're taught not we're taught to see each other's differences and and to try and like resist each other it's just a classic divide and conquer bullshit you know that's yeah. just yeah. so so wrong that you know so i i don't know i mean i, I feel like Obviously, I love music and, and believe in music and, and think music is such a, you know, other than love itself, maybe the greatest gift, you know, we humans have on Earth. But
2: well, then you're Santa. Uh, then you're like but, Santa. Yeah. You're Santa Claus, my friend. <laughs> I mean, you're 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 incredible. I mean, and you know, I'm. I, you, it's you all re- it's all relative. I understand. I, there's no in, no input, no output. That's what Joe Stormer used to say, right? Um, a couple other things. Uh, we're talking to Jim James. I, I want to trip a little bit back into Evil Urges because, you know, there is a kind of, um, there is a baseline, you know, question because you're such a, a man of architecture and poetry. I found you to be both left brain and right brain in equal measure. And that's the great artists are as far as I'm concerned. You know, it's funny when, when I was listening to Evil Urges and thinking about it, it has this kind of architectural approach to it it, almost like the opening of a movie. And Joe Ciccarelli, was he the producer on Evil Urges, the album?
0: Uh, He he engineered and co-produced with
2: me. I mentioned that because he had talked a little bit about wanting this sound to be an urban soundscape. Um, And, you know, it's funny because with your new record, I've been thinking a lot of what's going on. This idea of like a soundscape and like a location for a song do songs benefit from location, or or those two separate religions? You know, the religion of location when you record a song, because to me, the soundscape of Evil Urges is beautifully urban. Talk a little bit about location really recording. So. Yeah. Sorry, man.
0: Yeah, I really think location location is important. I mean, I think that's something that's so cool about the the history and mythology of, of music and where the music was made and under what circumstances was it made and, you know, what was the person doing. And, you know, at the, at the end of the day, a lot of that, I feel like, I, I either like the music or I don't. Right, you know, so, right. so, so sometimes at the end of the day, I don't fucking care. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but on the other hand, it's like, at least me personally, when we make a record, you know, we've been fortunate enough to have the ability to choose, uh, you know, let's like Evil Urges we made in, in Manhattan. In New York, yeah. um, you know, so that that was uh, yeah, a conscious decision because I, I wanted the energy of that place in the music, um, you know, but a lot of my music I've made in Louisville, Kentucky, because that's where I'm from, that's where I live. Yeah. You know, a lot of times people obviously don't have the luxury or the ability to go wherever they might think they want to go, but... Um, I think regardless of that, you can still do things to affect the environment. Because I think that's one of the cool things about music, too, is you're literally, like, capturing time. Yeah. You're capturing air. Yeah. And you're capturing the sound of of New York City in 2007 or whatever, or, or wherever you are. Um, to me, that's just magic. I love listening to my favorite records. And I think that's the magic of recording, too, is because you can get all the vintage gear you want, and you can try to replicate every single thing and every single microphone that the Beatles had or whoever, you can't (laughs) replicate time. Right. You know, you can't replicate that air and you can't replicate that time. And that's why you you can't, you can't recreate that stuff. And it's easy to get lost in those wormholes uh, trying to recreate those times. But it's like, I don't know. I think you, it's all, it's our duty. The artist's duty always to try and speak to the times you're in, which hopefully speaks to forever.
2: Well, And all that other stuff is, as you say, it's the secret. You know, it's funny, when you look at a movie, I always tell my film students that every movie is a documentary, but it's worthless to people coming to see the movie. But it's the secret, it's the DNA of the movie, which I love. I mean, I, I love the fact that this was recorded in New York and not San Francisco or L.A., but ultimately, it, it's, it doesn't matter. It's just a kind of, it's a jazz point. I guess my, my question is, what when do you determine hey i should record this record in la or this is a san francisco thing or i need to go back home to kentucky or you know when when do you make that determination is it in the writing is it when you're about to record or is it when the label is saying hey man record this thing it's ready you know what what, when when do you make that determination
0: yeah i don't know maybe well the writing is different because writing just happens kind of all over the place you know usually at home or uh wherever I happen to be but then you kind of have to corral everybody together because we don't live in the same place or whatever record I'm making I'm usually not living in the same place as the other people so you have to pick a spot anyway so I just usually try to listen to to what the music is telling me and also I just really like variety I like the experience of uh, going somewhere different you know and even if it's within the same city or whatever trying to Go to a different place, or you know, I, it, I don't know. It's funny. I feel like I found the beauty of of both. It's like I found the beauty of like, oh man, it's great to return to this place you've been before and feel that feeling. But I feel like almost like you can't feel the return until you've left, obviously. So yeah. I, I think I think it's important to keep mixing it up and, and listening to what what the music tells
2: you. Well, it's cool. When I found out that this was recorded in New York, you know, you strike me as like a country mouse and also like a beach mouse. It's interesting that this was recorded in, in New York. Does New York inspire you? I mean, it's, you know, we just had the tallest man on earth on the show, uh, Christian Mattson, and we were talking about recording in New York. What does recording in New York do? Does it, is there any danger? You know, I always think, like, is, can you get cock blocked in New York because there's so much sound and there's so much stuff and there's so much human activity? Talk a little bit about recording in New York in general. Is there any general uh, pattern you've sensed recording in New York?
0: It's so funny to talk about recording in New York from Los Angeles because, like, I made the last record <laughs> in Los Angeles. And I've been spending a lot, spending a lot of time out here, and you know, I don't know. I feel like there are those, like, New York is just unbelievable. I mean, the energy there is just truly unbelievable, mm-hmm. and and that's one of the things I love about New York is like being in there with everybody and being a part of the hurricane and excitement that is New York, you know, I feel like you can only get that there. I mean, you can only get everything where you can get it, but there's just that thing about New York that when you climb into it, you know, it's like, at least for me, that's that's kind of why I want to be there because of that crazy energy because I feel like it can be very productive, but I think also it can it can eat you alive, at least me, so it's like I like to also retreat or whatever and and get out of the city but um, yeah I don't know just for that record it's funny that was so long ago Uh, that was just where I was at then I was just there a lot and uh, I had a place there for a while and uh, just was really into that at that moment Uh, yeah I don't know it was a strange time something about the energy of the city just kind of really propels you
2: yeah yeah It's funny when, you know, when I was thinking of a song for the show, you know, it's like being a filmmaker and think of in the song for the opening of of a movie. And what's cool about Evil Urges is it's the first track on the record. Do you think in those terms, man, I I mean, you're, you're again, maybe it's part of your your uh film your film uh, nerd side but when you think of hey what's going to be the f- when you write a song do you ever th- when do you reflect on oh this is a first track this is like an opening track this has this feel this has this architecture or is that like a is that like a group think in terms of first song well, on a record that kind of thing it a- usually it's
0: after the actual recording is done you know that's going to be on the record because The songs, kind of when you go into making a record, at least for me, uh, you've just got this pile of songs, you know, that you've got demos and ideas, but you haven't started making the actual, uh, a lot of times you don't succeed. You know, you try to record song A and it just falls on the floor. And then the little 30-second scrap that you had that you thought nobody would like turns out to be everybody's favorite song. (laughs) You know, all these things happen. Or you decide to do... Um, I don't know like on our add-on record we did this big long extended intro that we built and, you know that wasn't like originally part of the quote unquote song or whatever that I just wrote in my bedroom. It's you know, so all these really magical things happen in the studio that kind of dictate the sequence and, and the opening and I do think of it as, as film uh, as being very cinematic because I feel like that's another great thing about music is that it, it makes your life you know, more cinematic. You know, everybody knows the thrill of a beautiful drive with the perfect music or taking a hike with the perfect music or you know, it's one of those things where it's almost like you get to create your own your own cinematic experience every day and making making a record for me is i definitely think about it that way
2: what's well, funny you know sh- i was shopping for headphones the other day which is an idiot's errand and one term a lot of people with headphones you talk about when you, the specs of a headphone they talk about the the sound stage you know the 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 the, f- the feel of the sound you know is it a big sound stage is it a small i you know and obviously that's a term we use in movies like the sound stage but Evil Urges, and what I love about you, you guys in general, A, you're just such good guys. Like My Morning Jacket, if you all ever get to see... A, seeing you guys on, on stage was, was a gift. I mean, it, honestly, it was one of the greatest stage performances I've ever seen, stroke one. Stroke two is you Thanks. you create a dynamic sound that is so beautiful. It's interesting. You know, you know what kind of feedback I get on, on the theme song to the show? When they hear it at the end, because I played at the end too, people get really sad and I love that because it means that the song is working because it signifies oh this is the end of the show they're going away now I don't know if you were ever like a child of radio listening to like a theme song or an opening or a closing but it's cool how music has yeah. that. it has that Pavlovian response you know whether it's like Howard oh, St- Howard Stern opens his show to Rob Zombie song you know and when you hear it you're like here they are again here are my friends again here's that voice again I I'm I'm so honored that you're part of that world for me. Was that ever part of your world? Like, do you ever get like, do you? How do you get? Do you get attached to the formalism of music in the same way? Like, oh, those. I
0: love that. Yeah, absolutely. Have you heard uh, S Town, the podcast? Oh my god. Yeah. It's it's unbelievable. It's funny. I've I've. uh, I guess I just like listening to music so much that I don't ever. Remember to listen to podcasts. Yes, you know, smart man. Helped me. Yes, and then, but then every time I do, I end up having this really thrilling or profound experience. You know, I always love this American Life or whatever, but yeah. uh, this S Town thing. You know, every kind of same thing. Yeah, everybody's been talking about it, and then finally, I had a long drive and listened to it. And at the end of uh, every episode. They play A Rose for Emily, which is one of my favorite Zombies songs. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it's like I have a cursed history with songs, but now every time, it, you know, they play it at the end of every episode, and it's got a really deep and significant meaning related to the story, the, sh- the show. But I just had this profound experience of the magic of radio in that yeah. way, too, because so I feel yeah. like, it's like it's like reading a book with your ears. You know, you're creating all these images, and then that song comes on at the end every time, and it does produce that... That emotional reaction because you're like, yeah, I oh mean, it's, it's over this time, you know. It's like it is very powerful,
2: it, it, you know. And and I, I I say this as if you're not here, and just in the, our last couple of moments with you, I, I, I when I heard "Evil Urges," it, I wasn't listening. I wasn't listening for a song to start the show. But I will say this: I wouldn't have launched this show, Murmur, this podcast without the song. So I do like it owe you a kind of cosmic. Not dead, but I just I the, the ultimate cosmic thank you because I honestly wouldn't be doing the show and this may be a good bad thing that I am doing, show, but I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't met evil urges you know let alone knew you um, so you know it's it's a what's a it's a beautiful thing you said about that old time radio thing you know it's like, whether you like Prairie Home Companion or Garrison Keeler when he sings Red River Valley at the end and you know it's the end you know remember the Red River Valley. That's beautiful because that shows you that music enters a larger place in our life. And honestly, man, when I hear your song now, I think of... The, the work I do I think of my life I think of meeting you like this song is, is such a now a pivot point and there's no pressure on you to, <laughs> I'm just saying like I wanted I wanted to have you on the show since we started so I can literally vomit a lot of this thank you on you because <laughs> the song means so much to me and um Aside from the fact that it's from one of my favorite bands and someone I know, and, and it unlocked a door, and you know, it's like that for movies, man. You know, a song can unlock a movie. Uh, you know, a a, yeah. me- a memory of a, a piece of music can unlock it, and every time you hear Oh yeah, Morricone, and you, th- I know, and you think of Good, the Bad, the Ugly, or anytime you think, you know, you hear uh, North by Northwest, it unlocks that movie, and then you own that movie you know what I'm saying? The music helps you own it. And I think no less about your song. It's helping people own my content in their minds because of your song. Is that overstating it or do you believe in those kind of connectivities?
0: I believe in those connectivities. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm I'm honored that you wanted to use it. I appreciate your, your kind words
2: well you know i i appreciate your notes and your thoughts man and and uh again if i ever have the the first world problem of being bought out by a large conglomerate uh one of the first emails will be to uh-huh. you and saying jim uh you're fired we're bringing in uh Morricone to write the <laughs> the murmur theme song (laughs) uh but hey man honestly i I know you're always super busy uh you've been someone we wanted to chat with again and I, i just want to thank you the song is amazing but even more so i cherish uh your contribution to art let alone your contribution to our show so thank you so much jim thanks
3: so much for having
2: me we'll catch up with you again be well all
3: right bye this is mr yumio yamashita who represents the Sony Corporation, which is perhaps the most powerful consumer electronics firm on this planet. We welcome them this morning. Thank you for having us here.
1: Gentlemen and lady, it is your honest approach to advertising that has caught the world's attention. We are looking forward to seeing how you have Hated your
3: approach to work for us. Thank you, George. That means let's go. Hello,
0: babe. We're Sony. How's it going?
3: Killer. What is that? Not sure. Get him off of there. Sorry. Uh, this is for something else. Not Sony. Yeah. Bruce. Hi.
0: Fricks, Sony, Germ.
3: It's not totally fleshed out yet. Uh, this <laughs> happens with lunatics. Sometimes you get a little craziness. Um, it's uh, all part of the charm. What the hell is this? You! Get up there.
0: Uh, oh, the Sony. Mm.
3: Bony. What? what the hell is this thing, huh? He's, he's comparing. Uh, I'm lost.
1: Gentlemen, you are wasting my time. Go.
3: I thought you said you were on top of this, goddammit. These people are dysfunctional. Well, you better hope that they glow tomorrow morning. And you better pray that I get this company back here.
2: That the talk with Jim was less of a back and forth and more of a thank you from me, I guess, because when I first uh, wanted to use a song, I was I, I was a little bit of on, on eggshells about asking him because if we couldn't get that song or if he wouldn't allow me to use it, I was thinking, oh man, I can't start the show. So it was really. I do owe him a lot emotionally and creatively and I want to thank him. I think though, as I was talking to him, he was seemed to be driving. It's it's hard to figure that out sometimes. And I was thinking, is he driving is he leaving the country? Are we bumming him out? Uh Jim is such a, a sensitive soul and he's to see them on stage, to see my Morning Jacket on stage is, was really a gift. They um, they put on an incredible show, so much so. When I met them after the show, there was such a disconnection. It's interesting meeting them. They're, they're just sort of a bunch of young guys. Seeing them on stage made me feel like I was 12. But when I met them, I was like, man, these are young guys just doing their thing. And Jim's awesome and um, was really happy to have him. It, it probably wasn't the back and forth that it, could have been, should have been, but it was, I was truly, I guess my, my thanks showed itself in wanting to express to him the gratitude. I was less interested in analyzing the song. That's just not, you know, I didn't, I didn't think too much about the meaning of the song because the song, I think that's another part of this art on art you know the song takes on a new meaning and though the original intent is beautiful and it's artistically poetic political sonic agenda or or result or achievements i i and that that is a wonderful b i i think when these things interact with other immovable objects irresistible forces they become a new thing, and that's what I wanted it to be. You know, not to compare this to the, what we do here to The Graduate, but when you think of The Sounds of Silence, that song in and of itself is unbelievable. Now, match it up to the film, and, you know, obviously it wasn't originally intended for the film, but that sort of chocolate and peanut butter becoming a rhesus, I I hate rhesus, by the way, but it, it becoming a rhesus you know, the sum is greater than the parts. And here it's not about the sum being greater than the parts or equal to the parts. The sum is different than the parts and that's what I love. And it's funny, you know, when I think of other totems, artistic totems, I lived in Italy really briefly and taught there and I was really in awe living in Florence and seeing these incredible works of art that are essentially dedicated to Christianity. And my, you know, I'm not a a religious Christian on any of those levels or religious on any of those levels. But what is inspiring is that these artists, these great artists, not even great artists all the time, but artists were so inspired by the ideas and the thoughts that they they, uh, digested that they needed to create another manifestation. So when you think of religiosity... And you think of communities and artists saying, you know, there there is a God, or there are these gods, or there are these figures, and they're not physically here. So let's create a physical manifestation as a totem, but also to be in the presence of, of these gods. So whatever your re- 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 pardon me, whatever your religious beliefs are, when you move amongst these objects, you know, being in Italy, being in Rome, and seeing a church, a work of architecture. It doesn't have to be simply a statue or a sculpture or a bust, but it can be a church. And, you know, agnostic, atheistic or not, it's moving to me that there, there are constructs that pertain to some form of inspiration now it's never that clean and clear I understand that but I do feel there you know when when something moves us to something else even if it's in opposition to the thing you know uh one physic one inspiration leading to another is always sort of I mean what more what what greater magic what better magic can we have or what greater proof that art matters and it's not simply the legacy of a life it's simply I was so moved by that song or I was so moved by that painting that I did something I mean we do a lot of events at the Modern School Film and one of the greatest compliments I ever received from an event was we did an event in New York and afterwards one of the participants uh, came up to me and she said or one of the audience members came up to me and said this event made me want to make a film and that's I mean, that's not that wasn't the goal of the event uh, and it, I don't even know what that means for about the event, but it was such a fascinating and really moving response and you can't do that. You can't create a work and you don't really create something and say, oh, I hope it leads to something else, but I find in my life and I find in the people and the students that we teach and the events, it is really cool when you can galvanize information that's balanced Hopefully that isn't isn't simply praise nor criticism. Neither craze, praise nor it is praise, but it's neither praise nor criticism. And you know that's kind of what I'd like to do: deliver that information. We teach our students there's a difference between craft and taste, and taste is not my mission. Taste is a kind of residue, but the craft piece. So you know. Jim James, My Morning Jacket, creates this piece that's absolutely beautiful. It's craft-based, but it's also artistic and emotional. And it leads to something else that we're proud of, and that's Murmur, to be with you here on a weekly basis. So, and it's not just a song, but the song really was the frame. And for me, you know, a canvas can have power, a canvas with a frame fits into a larger conversation and that's what we're trying to do here thank you Jim James thank you WHUPLP. thank you those of you listening out there on iTunes Google Play and Stitcher we're here every week 2pm Eastern we're evergreen downloadable on various and sundry websites murmuradio.com modernschooloffilm.com Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, things social and antisocial. See us on the road in London, Chicago, Donnie Yen, Chris Guest. See you soon.